Well, good morning. It's wonderful to have you with us. Um, I know I've already said that, but some have come since then. Anyway, I think as we, uh, those of you who are in the prayer meeting will know, Rob and Casey are in um, Krakow in Poland, just in a connection with a church there, just to visit them and encourage and just be part of that. And I think that's part of who we call to be and what we call to do. So um, just pray for them while they're there. They're not ministering as such, but I think wherever we go, we carry the presence of God. And if we open for God to use us, then we, uh, we are used by him. And so this morning, we're going to carry on looking at um, our series through Titus. We've been looking at a number of different things. I can't believe it's week um, six already, and we're still in Titus chapter one. The rest will go quicker. Um, hopefully it will be finished before Christmas, but um, the, the rest should go quicker. But uh, we started, if you remember, in Titus chapter two, where we looked at the, the, the importance of us understanding that we are saved by grace. We're saved by grace through Jesus, and we're empowered by grace through the Holy Spirit. And that uh, is foundational, and we need to remember that through everything so that we don't go into uh, a thing of trying to earn our salvation or trying to earn God's approval, but actually we live in the freedom of who we are created in him, that we are justified and sanctified, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But that does require our cooperation with him. And uh, uh, again, like we've said Often people read through Titus and they look at it and think, well, that's for elders and deacons and leaders. But in actual fact, all scripture is God-breathed. That's what it tells us in 2 Timothy 3. It's all scripture is God-breathed and is helpful and productive for teaching, correcting, training, uh, and, and righteousness so that we be thoroughly equipped. And actually what we see is these are the foundational things of this is what it means to be a believer. This is how believers are to live. In any, and with regard to leaders, they must lead in this way so that they're an example to follow, not separating, but actually just giving an example. And so, as we read Titus, it's for every single one of us because we are all saints, we are all children of God. And so, this morning, we're going to look at Titus chapter 1. And verse 7. So, if you're a believer, this is for you. If, uh, and, uh, we are going to look at Titus chapter 1, verse 7, and it says this. I know we read some of this last week. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. And we looked at that a number of weeks ago, and we looked at how the biblical thing of, uh, of a household. And then it goes on to say a number of things that we must not do. So if we think of that for every one of us, we to live blameless. Every one of us, we must not be overbearing. We must not be quick-tempered. We must not be given to drunkenness. We must not be violent. We must not be pursuing dishonest gain. But then he goes on to these things. Rather, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, we must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So rather than doing all those things that we're not to, we need to focus on what we are called to do. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to focus on those things of what we're called to do. Because, you know, uh, maybe it's just me, but most people that I speak to, if you know there's something you shouldn't do and you focus on not doing that, what do you normally land up doing? That. Yeah, exactly. That's because our focus is on trying not to, trying not to. But actually, if we focus on what God has called us to and give ourselves to that, that's what we will do. If you just think about it, if you think either I mustn't do this or I must do that, if you focus on what you mustn't do, you'll be so concerned you'll never get to do what you must do. But actually, if you focus on what you must do, you haven't got time to do what you shouldn't be doing. 
because you're so busy doing this. And the same is true for our life with God, that if we, if we give ourselves to the things that he's called us to and the things he's told us to do, that helps us grow. And so this morning, that's why we're going to look at rather be hospitable, a lover of what is good, be um, uh, self-controlled and disciplined are the four things that we're going to look at this morning. And so that's where we're going to focus today. And some of those things, being self-controlled and disciplined, is a recurring theme through this letter and a number of other ones. But through this letter, that is repeated time and time again to different groups and different things. But we're going to be starting off with what does it mean to be hospitable uh, and loving what is good. And then we'll see, I'll see the time because my notes are long this morning, but we'll start. So if we look at what does it mean to be hospitable. So you see, the Bible is very practical And that sometimes we can over-spiritualize things where God just gives us clear truths in order for us to live those things out. And we see in the Old Testament the examples of people who were incredibly hospitable. 2 Kings chapter 10, this is chapter 4 verse 10. There's the Shunammite woman and her husband uh, and uh, they opened their home for Elisha and um, Gehazi to come and stay there. And they made prepared a room for him and there's a whole story that goes with that about how she had a son and then the son got sick and died and then was healed and all those things things, but they offered their home as a place of refuge, a hospitable response. And in Genesis chapter 18, we see Abraham and Sarah, they, the, the men who were traveling, who turns out to be angels, they offered for them to come and they hosted them. They were hospitable. It's that same principle. In Judges chapter 19, there's the example of where the, the men were coming into the town and uh, I can't remember what his name is. They said that don't stay here, come and stay in our home. And then there's also the one in, 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 uh, about Lot and, Abraham and all of those things. There's just some examples from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it starts off with Jesus in chapter 25 of Matthew, uh, at verse 35. He says, he goes on speaking about when I was um, naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, when I, had, when I was uh, a stranger, you invited me in. And they say, well, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Romans chapter 16, verse 23, in the, in the, the end of the book of Romans, we told that uh, um, uh, the writer of Romans says this, and all the greetings at the end. Gaius, whose, hospi- whose hospitality I and the whole church have enjoyed, send his greetings. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. That word entertain is the same word as be hospitable to. It's not like our entertain. For in so doing, some have entertained or welcomed in strain- uh, angels, which we saw in the Old Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So those are just some examples. If you read through the book of Acts, there are so many moments where Priscilla and Aquila opened their home and invited Barnabas to his home. They, they, different people at different times opened their homes and came in, even Jesus. You know the account? So you know the account of the man who was let down through the roof, who healed? If you read the text... It says, Jesus was at his home. And they came in and they lowered him down. Now some say that could mean that actually Jesus had a home and it was his house that they broke the roof of. And others say, well, it was just his hometown. But there are a number of times where Jesus came home. Jesus came home and people crowded in and people came in. And and there's example after example of homes that are open and hospitality that has been offered. So what does it mean and why is it important? It's important enough for God to put it in the scriptures and for Paul to write to, Timothy, uh, to Titus and say, 
be hospitable. Someone who's a leader who leads by example needs to be hospitable. Every believer should be hospitable. And so it's not entertaining like we would classify entertaining. It doesn't mean that you have the smartest house with the best everything and you put on the biggest spread with, I don't know, Michelin star food and everything else. It's not that. It's not being able to work a room and make sure everybody's comfortable and chat with this one and that one. It's not that at all. The root, the biblical root of the word hospitality comes from the Greek, which is philoxenos. So philo, we know, is love. And xenos is xenophobia, which is stranger. Actually, what the biblical meaning of hospitality is, is loving strangers. So much more than entertaining what we would think of today. And the examples we see in scriptures, they opened their hearts and opened their homes and loved strangers that came through. And Jesus says, when you did it for the least of these of my brothers, you did it for me. So our hearts need to be that which open our lives to those who are part of the family of God, but also those who come through. So you see, the, the for example of this is, I said earlier that Robin Cato in Poland Do you know how they got there? It's because they opened the home here when those church leaders came and needed somewhere to stay. They stayed in their home. Now there's a relationship and they went and they've gone to visit them there for the sake of the kingdom. They didn't know them before. An example of being hospitable. But why is it important? I think first is that it it reflects God's heart towards us. Scripture tells us, Jesus himself said that, I'm going to my Father's house and I'm preparing a place for you. If you think of it, God himself, when we come to salvation, opens his whole home, his life, his everything, and welcomes us in as children. He's our shelter and our refuge. The place that we go to for security and safety. Him. You see, hospitality, the love of strangers, the love of those people, and embracing, and, and, and we're going to look at some, some practicals, ties in exactly with who God is and how he treats us. And so if we receive that from him, how much more should we offer that to others? So that everything through us, they see him. That's why it's important. It demonstrates his love for us. And us doing that demonstrates our love for others. Our acceptance, the the grace and mercy we've received, that we welcome others, that they are valued, that they are cared for. Because our heart has been turned to God. You see, there's everything that we see in that simple thing. of You see, if we reduce hospitality to entertainment, we miss everything. When we see the value and the importance and why it's important, then it transforms who we are and how we view those things. And so how's it outworked and what does it mean practically? You see, when we welcome people in to our lives, we make them feel valued, loved. We put them at ease and we honor them. That's how you make someone, that's how you are hospitable. 
It's creating an environment that facilitates time together. Trust. Facilitates relationship building and the place for ministry. Hospitality is without an agenda. See, if I only ever invite people around to my house in order to challenge or question or what, that, that's more like a trap, <laughs> that, to be honest. It's more like a trap than it is actually, and it's very functional, more than it is actually being hospitable. Because then the first time it happens, you might be taken aback. Second time you, you come and you're on edge, you're not at ease. You see, for us to be hospitable means for us to be like Jesus, welcoming and embracing. I was doing some research because different cultures appropriate this in different ways. Some probably very successfully, some quite strangely. Um, but that's just because I come from my cultural background. But in the Middle Ages, you know the, the, the term, how we look at it, the, 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 what hospitality is? You know how it was termed and defined in the Middle Ages in some cultures? was this, protected from the outside world. Isn't that a wonderful way of looking at it? Especially if you put that in context of Jesus, or God is our refuge, he's our protector from the outside world. That's, uh, for me, that was just amazing. And some other cultures put it like this, a meeting of equals, even if there is an order of hierarchy. You come in and you're equals. Because it's all about unity and love and honor and peace. And where there's unity, God commands a blessing. And if you put all of those together, it's a beautiful picture of how God responds to us and how we're called to be as his believers with our hearts open to others. To be a place where people can come and feel at ease, feel at peace, protected from the outside world, equal, loved, and honored. And so I want to look this morning at two parts. One for us corporately as a church, and, for, and then also individually. Because yes, we are the church, but when we gather together, there's also something of that that comes this morning for each, each time we do. And it's important that we understand that and the value of that. And I understand that, that there are visitors almost every week, and hopefully they've experienced some of this. We're not perfect, but we're aiming there, and that's where we are. But it's not for people to feel welcomed and for us to be a church community that is hospitable is more than the people on the door. It's every single one of us with a heart attitude of welcome, of making people feel loved and at ease and peace and secure so that actually they can worship God, they can encounter Him, even if they don't know Him. In a way, it's making sure that they feel that you're expecting them. That's why we have tea and coffee at the back. That's why we've got a seating area there so that if visitors come in, they've got somewhere. That's why we have tea and coffee after. But you see, when we think it through, we think actually it's not just those on the door. It's every single one of us saying, come, we've been expecting you. You're valuable. We want to hear your story. We want to get to know you. That's what it means. Why? Because that's how God responds to us. He's, Jesus is preparing a place. He's expecting us. That's why, and, and, and our understanding of this actually does 
affect how we do things. That's why uh, some of you will know the story. When I was much younger in the last century, <laughs> um, my first year at art school, I had moved cities and I, was, I hadn't gotten to going to church because you had to walk everywhere in, the, in those days. And, um, and so I hadn't been to church for a while. And I thought, oh, let me go to a church. So I found one that I thought, oh, it's quite a big church. It's fairly well known. Uh, family members knew of it. And so I went to visit this church. Uh, and um, in those days, I would not have been doing this. My natural bias is to be in the background and not, I don't like public speaking. So that, that's kind of where I came from as an art student. And then in the middle of the meeting, the notices, they said, who are the visitors? Would you put your hand up? And this is why we don't do this, rightly or wrongly so. And I thought, well, they're about four or 500 people. There must be more than just me. So I put my hand up. There were five of us, four or five of us. I thought, okay. So that I can do with that. That's okay. They wanted to give us something, so they did. And then they asked us all to stand. Lovely. How to make someone feel welcome and at ease <laughs> is not this. Uh, and then the entire church sang us a song. Yeah. You could imagine. Even now, I would never, ever put up with that. Anyway. So in me, I didn't concentrate on the rest of the sermon. I didn't concentrate on the preach. I just thought, as soon as this meeting is finished, I'm out of here and I'm never coming back. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. When we got married, we lived over the road from this church. And we drove half an hour to another church. Because that's the church that made us feel welcome. So I use that as an example. Now, the church leader of that, I've since then got to know him, still didn't go to the church, did get to know him, did, and he's apologized for that, said they did some crazy things, and didn't do it for long. But clearly God didn't want me in that church, um, because the time they did it, I was there. So I use that silly example, because actually, how we as a community embrace others needs to be in a way that makes them feel loved and accepted and so there's skill in that to understand when we speak when we hold back when we embrace when we don't when we listen when we talk so that's why our whole kind of visitor thing is very low key partly because of my experience but also because I think rightly or wrongly I think that's how it is that we need to embrace we need to make people feel welcome not put them on the spot. And that's important for us as a church, but it's for every single one of us to welcome and make people feel loved. So I hope if you're visiting, you experience some of that. If not, hopefully after this morning's meeting, we will be on um, point and be able to do that. The same is true for when we host events. We've hosted different conferences over the years. We've hosted hundreds of people here before. And we do it in a way that might seem seamless, but actually it's to make them feel loved and welcomed and honoured. As a church, that's our role. Every person who walks in, do they feel the love and acceptance of Christ through us? That's who God's created us to be. That's how we to be. And the environment and everything else. And the same is true in our homes. Now, everybody's home is going to be different. Everybody's way of doing it is going to be different. I get that. But in there needs to be this value of, God, you have welcomed me into your kingdom. You're my refuge, my place of safety that I can go, that I can experience and I can, I can be loved and accepted. God, help me to do that as I invite people into my home. 
Make them feel at ease. Make them feel honored. Make them feel loved. Make them feel valued. And so some, I, I grew up in a household where, where that was, we, at some points in our lives growing up, we had lots of people through, and other times we didn't. But certainly something that, so some of those things we've learned from there, some we've just, that's who we are, is that you make an effort, and the whole family does it. Ask my children, well, only Eve's here. Um, the other two are coming back for Christmas at some point. When someone comes, the whole family gets involved. The whole family prepares and makes it ready for those who come. Not to show off, not to do anything but to make them feel, I was expected, I'm loved, I'm honored. We do that in our own homes. We do it in our gatherings together. That's what it means to be hospitable, to welcome and love strangers, to protect them from the outside world, to have a meeting of equals that there's acceptance and peace. Does that make sense? You see, if God puts it in Scripture, it's important for us to put into practice. Just because we think, well, it's hospitality, we'll do that. No, what does it mean? Why is it there? What does it show of Him? How do I live that out in my life? And, and I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a very visual person, so visually th- how things work and how things flow, I see, and it's important to me. And that's why some of the things that we do as a church, that's how it works. But it's going to be different for you in your home. Be yourself, and let the Holy Spirit come and move and work through you. And when we come together, we do the same thing. And, and please, can I just say this? It's not just for the ladies to do. I've, uh, here we see in Scripture, it says that Gaius, the, I and the whole church have enjoyed his hospitality. And, uh, and I've experienced some homes, not in the church, that, uh, well, not this church, where... where how do I say it? <laughs> Where the wives are very inhospitable and you don't feel loved or welcomed. The husband can feel, be most warm and embracing, but the wife has been like, I don't know, the snow queen from Narnia. You don't want to go there. You see, as a couple, you do that. As a family, we do that. That's why for here, we can have the warmest, friendliest people on the door. But if we're as cold as ice inside, that's not showing the love of Jesus. We had, many years ago, we had a young lad. Thankfully, we had a visitor who, who was a visiting preacher, who was a friend of ours that came, and he arrived at the door, and one of the young lads at the door wanted to be there with his mum. He saw the visitor and said, we don't like you, you can't come. And, um, yeah, but that was fine. So the guy chuckled and said, well, I'm here anyway, and he walked in. So, you see, it takes every single one of us. It takes every single one. It was here on these doors. It takes every single one of us. And why do you think God says that? Because we to reach a lost and dying world. A world of people who've broken, who've been rejected, who've been abused, who've been, who, who are... And where, to, where can they find peace? Where can they find God? It's through his church. That's us. I'm convinced that's why God puts it in the word so that we can put it into practice in our lives. I've spent far too long on that. But remember, it's opening our... We're probably only going to do two of these for one. We'll do the other two next week. There's no agenda. It's not functional. But we do need to 
follow the Holy Spirit's leading. So that whether it's here on a Sunday, whether it's somewhere else, whether it's home group, whether it's your home, there's Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you doing? Let me hear your voice so I know how to respond and how to welcome those who are there so that actually when they come, we can be a shelter for those that come in. It says, be hospitable and love what is good. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, we, love must be sincere, you must hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Later on in the same chapter, it says in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Philippians chapter 4, from verse 8, says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you've received and heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and God of peace will be with you. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Think on these things. Love what is good starts off with loving God who is good. But then loving what is good. Those things that we read in Philippians chapter 4. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus speaks to his disciples because he's been approached by the Pharisees and the Sadducees trying to catch him about, out about them eating with unclean hands and everything else. And he does this teaching in Mark chapter 7 that, that actually what you eat, like food, doesn't make you unclean because you eat it and it passes through the body. And he, there he, he speaks about all of that. And then, he, and then he speaks about actually it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks and, and what is inside a man makes him, it defiles him or not. You see, it's not what he's trying to say, is that what he's saying is this. It's not what we eat with our mouths that make us dirty. It's what we eat with our eyes and our ears that goes into our spirit and our soul. And that's why scripture says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the washing of the word. Whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, think on those things. Dwell on the things that are good. There's so much evil in this world. There's so much horrid stuff in movies, in books, in games, on social media, in, in everything. And if we're not careful, that fills our minds and our hearts and impacts us. And even in all of those things, even when there's stories, we were having this conversation the other day, even when there's stories and novels and things that are, have a good and an evil and it's made into movies, they, they seem to highlight and, and focus on the grotesque and the evil. And it becomes such a normal thing, even in, in computer games and everything, all those things. I remember when, when Ella, our daughter, was at school and she was doing drama and, and art, and so she, you know she's in Edinburgh Art School, they had to put together some drama thing and, and they were put into teams and they had to come up with something. And I said to her, why don't you do something that's actually good and wholesome? All these people are doing things about all these terrible things that have happened. Why? Because actually it's so much, I said to her, it's, it's so much easier to do drama and write things about the bad because everybody's fixated with it. And for some weird, bizarre reason... If you take the good and the wholesome and the lovely, it's seen as naff or twee or not having any value. 
Uh, and if we're not careful, that affects us. And how can it be that actually that's so opposite to what God says? God is aware, just like the word that he brought through Ian this morning, of the brokenness, the frailty, the damage. And he brings healing and wholeness. But he says to us, and we've just read it, think of the things that are noble, are good, are praiseworthy, are lovely. Think on those things. Why is it that the world looks at the one side and thinks, well, that's what we need to focus on? And God's saying, no, don't ignore that, but focus on this. So I'm not going to fight anybody on that, what books or whatever. You have to be led by the Spirit. But I'm going to pose a question, which is this, that if what we watch, what we read, what we dwell on, what we feed ourselves with through our eyes and our mind has an impact on our lives, both positive or negative. And if we are those who have a choice as to what we fill our minds with, as children of God, why would we not focus on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, and excellent? Why would we not? Why would we spend our time focused on those things that are not godly? I think we need to each invite the Holy Spirit to speak to ourselves, to speak to us and convict us and address those things that maybe he's not happy with us watching. Or actually, we've just become so immune to it that it's just there. You see, we either shy away from asking the Holy Spirit to come and show us because we want to carry on with the normal that we've got. Or we surrender. And we say, come and show me, is there something that I'm filling my heart and my life with that is not helpful, that is not in keeping with the truth of who you've called us to be? I'm convinced I've been reading through my daily readings. I'm, I'm part of that is going through Mark and all the different accounts of where Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons and raised the dead and yeah, raised the dead and the lame to walk and the blind to see and all of those things. And I was pondering that this week in line with all of this of filling our minds and our lives with things that are right and that are noble and are godly. Think on these things. Love what is good. Give your time to what is good and what is godly. Think is there? I, I don't think there's anything new under the sun. I think there was a whole lot of sickness and disease and demonic and all sorts of stuff that needed casting out and dealing with and healing and then and it is now. I think we've just become so used to it that it's disguised as other things, and actually we don't realise where people need to be set free and delivered. We think, well, it's no, we need this and counselling and that. And that. I'm not putting. I'm not saying we don't need those things. What I'm saying is I think the enemy has lied to us. Why? Because we filled our minds day in and day out with so many things that contradict what is lovely, what is true, what is right, what is admirable, what is noble, what is praiseworthy, what is excellent. That we've become numb. 
And actually God's saying, if we truly believe that we need to see and there's time for a revival of, of for God to come and move across this land and across the world, where does it start? In the hearts of every believer. You see, a life unexamined is a dangerous place to be. When we live our lives not examining with the, with the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, come and examine where I'm at, what I'm doing, what I'm spending time with, what I'm filling my mind with. If we don't allow that, we live in a dangerous place. And we, I'm not going to carry on into self-control and discipline. We'll do that next week. But it ties in with that of actually it means surrendering to him. Surrendering to him. God's called us to be hospitable. God's called us to love what is good. God has called us to be his own so that through us the world would see him. And we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And that's why actually as the church, if you use that phrase that we used earlier for hospitality of, of, of safety from the outside world, think of it this way. The church is the place where we come to safety in him in the world that we live in that is fallen and broken. And what we tend to think is, well, that's just natural because it's the world. That's how it naturally is. We need to, and I've said this before, we need to remember this. The world we live in is fallen. It's not how God created it to be. So in actual fact, it's not right. What is right is God's way and his kingdom. The world is wrong. And we've become so used to living with the wrong that the wrong seems right. And what is godly seems weird. But he says, love what is good. Fill your heart and your mind with that which is true. The word, who he is, he's called us to be that which is noble, which is honorable, which is lovely, which is pure. In other words, everything that we read in Scripture, everything that we know about God, fill your heart and your mind and your life with this. Why? So that we are transformed. And we have the choice. We have the choice. Either we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to transform us, or we just carry on like we are. The choice is ours. I'm going to pray because I've only got through half of what I prepared for this morning. But the two things. God's called us to be hospitable because actually as we show hospitality, we're showing the love, acceptance, grace, safety of God to the world around us. When we gather corporately, when we're in our homes. As we come up to Christmas, let, let our lives be marked with that. As we welcome people on Christmas Eve for the carol service, let it display that. The love, the safety, the, the shelter of Jesus. And love what is good. Cling to what is good. Fill your hearts with what is good and allow the Holy Spirit to clear out the last song we sang. Anything that is not of you, let it fall away. If we sang that with honesty and conviction, that's what it is. God, I surrender to you. Let that which is not of you fall away, that I would build what is of you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that 
we have free access to come to you through your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came, you laid aside your majesty, you did all of that so that we could be welcomed in to your family. Welcomed home to a relationship with the Father. Not by anything we've done, but by your grace and your sacrifice. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, the reality of what that means to be outworked in our lives would be so evident to us. That when people encounter us, they encounter you in us. As they come here, as we gather together, as we open our homes to, to others, Lord, let us see our lives and our homes as an extension of vehicles for the kingdom that people will encounter you and feel safe and loved and whole and healed. And Father, as we live in a world that is full of evil and horrid stuff, I pray that as we surrender our daily lives to you and ask you, Holy Spirit, to show us today what we need to adjust, that we would have the courage and the boldness to do that, Lord. But we'd also have the humility to surrender and live your way. Lord, that we would be those who love what is good, who speak of the praiseworthy deeds of our God, who declare your goodness, who display your goodness, Purity, Lord, those scripture, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy and excellent, Lord, let us be those who dwell on those things that we would be transformed and shine like stars, be salt and light, so that as we go into the world, as today we go home, as we go into workplaces, as we go into communities, the light and life of you, Jesus, in us would shine forth and draw people to you. Come and have your way in our lives, we pray. Amen.